So this afternoon we're going to begin a series of meditations on the practice of metta, or loving-kindness. And we'll take the next few days at this time to deepen and develop this practice. So before we begin, I'm, I'm just a little curious. How many of you here have had some experience and practice with metta? Okay, so quite a few people, but I should have asked it the other way around. <laughs> How many people haven't had any experience with metta? So there are a few. So, you know, we'll presume that and start from the beginning, um, giving a background to why we do this, and then each day, just as we do in the mindfulness practice, we'll develop it a little more. You may have noticed if you've looked at the schedule for IMS that we often have uh, meta retreats where the whole focus of the retreat is developing this practice and you do it day in, day out for seven days or longer depending on the retreat and we do the same at Spirit Rock. So it's possible to do this practice quite intensively and I know for myself um, I've done weeks and weeks at a time of this practice to, to learn to practice it, to develop it and I find it a very powerful practice in and of itself. It's, it's, it's quite transformative. It's, it's a practice that deepens concentration, so it's very helpful in that way. But as a practice to open the heart, it's, it's really uh, quite powerful. And we like to teach it in the context of a mindfulness retreat because it really points to this attitude that we've already been referring to that we want to bring to our mindfulness practice, which is this sort of kind, receptive, balanced attention. And the metta and deepening it um, in the way we'll begin to do today really helps to support that. So the practices are very complementary. And most retreats that we do, we tend to teach both of them because they really do support each other. To do the metta practice, you need a degree of mindfulness. You need to know what you're feeling. You need to be in touch with your body and your emotions. Um, So the mindfulness is necessary for that. But the metta can really infuse and support the insight or the mindfulness practice. And it's also a really helpful ally or antidote. If we find in our practice that we're getting tight or constricted um, in an aversive state of mind, whatever difficult emotions are coming up, it can be really helpful to actually bring in some metta, to bring in deliberately bring in some kindness. So it's useful in all these ways. The, the Pali word for this practice is metta, and we usually translate it as loving kindness, but that can seem a little elevated at times. As soon as we put the word love in there, we have a lot of projections around what we should be feeling and, and what our heart should be like. That's why I like to definitely pair it with the kindness part. But the emphasis is really on the kindness, I think Sharon already used the translation of friendship, friendliness. I also like just the simple translation of goodwill. It's another one that, that really evokes this feeling. Because at its, in its essential nature, metta is about acceptance. It's about accepting ourselves and our, our inner experience, and it's certainly about accepting others. And out of that acceptance, developing a sense of kindness or appreciation that can, of course, deepen. And there's a possibility of this practice, this Brahma-vihara, it's called, which literally means abode of the gods or highest highest abiding, um, can develop into a very powerful and almost transcendent 
kind of experience where, you know, there's no barriers of inner or outer or self and other. Um, So that's definitely possible. But for the most of the time, we want to keep in mind this just simple definition of kindness. That's what we're looking to develop. Because there's no meta switch. It's not like, you know, this afternoon you will feel meta. And that's part of the, both the challenge and the power of this practice is we get to work with whatever the obstacles are for us f- that, that prevent us from feeling well-being, ease, happiness, safety, whatever it is we're um, uh, having an affirmation towards. And that willingness to work with the obstacles is a big part of how this practice deepens. We call it a purification practice because what will happen at some point, whether it's today, in tomorrow, the, these coming days, or some future time, whatever the obstacles are to your feeling, happiness, safety, health, well-being, they will come up in your practice. And how you relate to them, how you skillfully work with them, is this practice working? So it's very common when we begin, or not even just beginning, at any time when we practice metta, to instead of feeling metta, feel anger or fear or loneliness or sadness or grief. And this doesn't mean that the practice isn't working. It actually means that it is working. And our willingness to engage with those experiences and actually open our hearts to them, accept them, find some balance with them, is the process of transforming that sense of contraction, that sense of limitation. So the practice is very powerful in that way. But also a common experience can be to not feel anything very much. As I said, there's no on switch. You don't just say, great, now metta, I'm filled with metta, love and kindness for all beings. Um, So a lot of the time it just feels like you're just saying the phrases. The way we do the practice is to repeat these simple set of phrases that that denote for us a sense of well-wishing. We just repeat them over and over again. And you know, it can feel like a mantra at times where I'm just, or nonsense phrases, you know, may I have peanut butter and jelly, you could be saying instead of may I be, you know, happy, may I be free. And to also know that that's okay. That we, a a common analogy or metaphor for the metta is like sowing seeds. And you can sow the seed, you can create the conditions, but you cannot force that seed to... um, What's it called? <laughs> Grow. Just, what is it? Germinate. Whatever. <laughs> start, to, start to grow, you know, put its little leaf up or whatever and, and come into bloom. We can't control that. But the more we're willing to just keep putting out this intention, I mean, I've just been so amazed because I often teach uh, meta retreats, uh, both week-long and longer retreats, and have seen again and again the transformation that's possible when people really commit to this practice. And as I say, say these phrases over and over again, you know, kind of through hell or high water, when it's dry, when it's difficult, when you're bored, when you're angry, you're frustrated, you're ecstatic, you just keep saying the phrases. And there's a real power to just the intention of doing that. So all of these experiences might be possible. You might be totally bored, it might feel that nothing is happening, you might feel ecstatic, you might feel sad, 
this is all in the realm of this practice and means that you're actually doing it, that something is happening. And so just to be prepared for that. I actually just last year taught a metta retreat and worked with one gentleman. It was, I think, his first metta retreat. And he was really quite diligent with the practice, kept doing the sitting and the walking and saying his phrases, but he would come in for the interviews and kind of be a little grumpy. It's not working, he kept saying. I'm not feeling anything. And I'd you know, give him my little faith rap and you know, encouragement, and it's OK, and planting seeds, and you never know, and purification, and so, OK. But it's still not working, you know. So he did, the, and he basically did the whole retreat like that. He left my last interview. He sort of, I really don't think this worked, you know. Maybe a little bit, but not what I was looking for. So what can you do? He left the retreat, but about a month later, he wrote me a letter, and he said, "I have to tell you that when I got home, I was transformed." that he just felt that he was relating to his life, to his emotions, to the people he was connecting with in a radically different way. And it was so gratifying that he took the time to write the letter because during the retreat, you know, he was just not feeling anything. And it really, again, gave um, evidence for, for our experiences that you can't really know what's happening. We want results from practice. I'm putting in the time. I'm doing it well. I should get, you know, the result. I should be able to see something, experience something happening. And these practices are much more mysterious than that. They're, they're more of an art than a science. They're more of, um, they're, they're not so predictable. But what I don't have any doubt is that they work. And like anything, you get out of them what you put in. And their trainings, their practices, they take us time to develop. So just to put out th that out there before we begin, so you don't have elevated expectations about this, but just really trust the unfolding and, and uh, the simplicity of the practice. So as I said, the way we do the practice is to repeat a set of usually four phrases. And the classic phrases refer to a kind of universal set of concerns because the way I like to uh, do and teach the practice is that the set of phrases that I use for myself, I can use for any other being. I can use for my best friend, my worst enemy, the chickadees, the chipmunks, you know, the people on the plane, uh, the dog that passes by being seen and unseen. So there's kind of a universal flavor. Many of you may have already developed a set of phrases, so you're welcome, to, of course, to use those. The ones I'll be recommending are translations of pretty much the traditional phrases, and they go something like, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease. So we'll put a, a set of phrases up on the board afterwards that, that give you some variations on these, but it's helpful to touch these kinds of areas in the phrases. Universal concerns about wanting to be safe, protected, safe from inner and outer harm, safe from danger, free from danger. This is the first phrase. And then happiness, just that wish to be happy. It's not a, you know, an elevated wish for happiness, but just that sense of well-being. Of, of contentment in life, so happiness, joy, and then health. May you be healthy, may I be healthy, healthy in body and mind, healthy and strong. 
We often with this phrase have a subtext that you can say if that's helpful because often for yourself or for someone else, their health is really challenged. They have chronic or acute illnesses, they're struggling in some way. So I like to say or understand that even as I wish someone to be healthy, but if that's not possible, may you accept your limitations with grace. Some version of that, some uh, expression of equanimity. But I find, you know, people often struggle with this phrase because they say, well, I'm not healthy, or I, uh, this person isn't healthy. But what I feel is it's still what I would wish for them. I would wish for them health, even if it's not possible right now. It's, it's more of an expression of intention rather than looking for a result. So again, to think of that phrase in that way. And then the last phrase is something like, may you have ease of well-being, or may you live with ease. And this phrase is referring to the kind of day-to-day realities of our life, that our work situation, our family situation, our living situation, our home situation is comfortable and easy, that we feel supported or taken care of. And again, in any of these areas, we can be challenged. You know, it, it's, and this is what I mean about the obstacles to practice. We can feel challenged. And the practice is still to find a way to wish it, still to find a way to find a connection in that area for ourselves or for the other person, and to recognize that that's part of the training. Part of the training is can we continue to wish well even when the conditions aren't ideal? So even when we're not feeling it, even when this particular area in our life or someone else's life is difficult, even when we're doing it for our enemy, which we'll come to in a few days, the difficult person, can we still continue to wish metta? Because, you know, it's one thing to wish it when our heart's open and we're happy and everything's feeling good, a beautiful day like today, but can we wish metta when we're a little cranky? or our knee is aching, or we're with someone who we're struggling with, having some difficulty with. So it's part of the training, is to wish it even when the conditions aren't ideal. There's so much to say about metta. I always, you know, we do whole retreats on it, and to try and encapsulate it into 15 or 20 minutes is a little challenging, but we'll keep adding more as the days go by if I forget some things that are helpful to say. Um, And that we go through a set of categories. Again, if you're familiar with this practice, you'll know them. We start with self and benefactor. And a benefactor is someone who has helped you in some way in your life, who's mentored you, been a teacher, a guide, a support. It could be an elder, you know, some kind of literally teacher or mentor. Some people love to choose a child or a grandchild or even a pet. But the main thing is it's someone who has qualities that you value, qualities of kindness or love or affection or wisdom. And when you think of them, your heart easily opens. So they they, they just allow the metta to flow. And then we go from that to the friend, to a neutral person, to a difficult person and all beings. And you can see, we begin with self and then move on, that it's a gradual progression from intimacy 
to lesser and lesser degrees of intimacy, to the neutral person and then the difficult person, then all beings. And many people want to rush to the difficult person. It's like, I, I'm okay, I can send metta to my friends all day long, and that feels great, but the difficult person I really need to go to. Or they said, no, I love sending it to all beings, that's when I feel really good, I can really do that. But in either case, there's a misunderstanding of, of the way the practice develops. Um, it really, there really is a wisdom in starting where it's easy or meant to be easy. Well, I'll talk about that in a moment. And really grounding in that and then going on to the other categories. So again, if we do it for days or weeks on end, we spend quite a lot of time in these early categories, really get, getting established in the practice and how to send it before we move to where it's difficult. And some people find that it's really easy to send metta to all beings except for that person. Um, and so it's a kind of, a, it's a way, it's an escape because I can send to all beings, but I can't send to myself or to this difficult person. So there's again a wisdom in just making sure there's the foundation before we open up to all beings. And traditionally we do begin with ourselves because as, when this practice was devised, it was just considered obvious that we should feel caring towards ourselves, that we should wish this for towards ourselves. And for some of you, it may be easy. For many people, we are the hardest category. Ourself is the hardest category. We're often in the difficult person category. You can find yourself in that place uh, later on in the retreat. And so it can be a real practice of how to work skillfully with sending metta to yourself, being willing to do it when it's not easy or it feels kind of fake or artificial to be willing to acknowledge that you do actually want happiness for yourself, want to experience kindness or love for yourself. And this can be one of the doorways that metta opens, is actually allowing ourselves to touch that, even in the smallest kind of way. And it's said that the proximate cause for metta is reflecting on the goodness of the person that we're sending metta to. And so traditionally we begin this practice with sending, with reflecting on the goodness, our own goodness. And again, if I asked you to write a list of your ten flaws or you know bad characteristics, I'm sure you could all whip out a pen and paper and write down stuff very quickly. And if I asked you to write ten wonderful things about yourself, you'd be, you know often saying, you know, I'm okay, I guess, but I'm not great, or this could be better, or, you know, maybe that was okay, but anyone would have done that. That's not so special. We tend to really devalue our inner life and our, our good qualities, and this practice really starts with that. Can we acknowledge the goodness that's there? Whatever way you can find into that. So this is how we're going to begin the practice right now, is with this reflection. So the instruction in metta is to sit comfortably. We don't ask you to sit uncomfortably at any time, but it's particularly helpful when we're uh, wishing well because if the body is uncomfortable, it's really hard to have the heart be soft and open. So please sit comfortably if you need to adjust your posture or whatever so that you can feel that sense of relaxation. And then take a few moments just to reflect on your own goodness. Again, it can be hard to even say that phrase, my goodness, my good qualities, 
my kindness, my patience, my sense of humor, my compassion. But all of you undoubtedly have these kinds of good qualities or you wouldn't be here on a retreat like this. You wouldn't care about waking up, being more mindful, being more loving, kind, or compassionate. So just being here on the retreat is an example of your goodness. So if you can find a way in through being here on the retreat, through your practice, perhaps you can reflect on the last time you acted kindly or with compassion or with generosity towards a friend or relative, colleague. You can recall that action. It doesn't have to be a huge thing, taking in a homeless person or giving away all your money but just calling up a friend who was struggling a little bit, going to lunch with someone who needed some time and some support, volunteering at some local charity. Can you let that in, that that was an act of kindness, of generosity, of compassion? Or just simply that you love goodness, You love being around people who are wise and kind and generous. And you love that because it speaks to something that's already in you. Just really letting that in, this sense of goodness, of integrity, of compassion. And then from that place of already opening to yourself and your good qualities, beginning to send the phrases of metta towards yourself. I find it helpful in this practice to keep it based in the body, even though we're using these phrases, it's not just a mental activity. So letting your attention perhaps rest in the center of the chest, noticing the breath as it moves in and out, that this can be the focal place for the metta practice. This is how you stay connected and grounded, noticing whatever feelings or emotions might be there, a little bit of warmth, a little bit of softness. Perhaps there's not anything very much. That's fine, too. And just beginning to say the phrases of metta towards yourself. May I be safe and protected from harm. May I be happy. May I be healthy and strong. May I live with ease. Having a sense of yourself as you sit here, perhaps a visual image of yourself, Sometimes it's helpful to have an image of yourself at a place where you know that you're usually happy or have that sense of well-being. In your living room, at your kitchen table, at your desk, at work, out in nature, exercising, doing something creative. So that There's a sense that the metta is actually landing somewhere. And then repeating this at a, at a very measured pace, 
may I be safe and protected from harm. May I be happy and contented. May I be healthy in body and mind. May I live with ease. No need to rush through the phrases, saying them in a measured way. One of the things I find helpful is to use the breath to work with the phrases. So I might have it on the in-breath, be silent. And say the phrase on the out-breath. In the in-breath, silent, just connecting with this place in the center of the chest, the heart area. And then the phrase on the out-breath, sense of offering, softening into the practice.
Now in the meditation, you may wish to keep developing metta for yourself. It's always a skillful and helpful thing to do. But I also invite the possibility of inviting in your benefactor, (coughs) this person (coughs) you've selected who has been some kind of guide or helper, support for you. Traditionally, they recommend choosing someone who's still alive so you can feel the metta has somewhere to land. As I said, could be also a, a child or a pet, just someone who when you think of them, the heart easily opens, this feeling of connection happens, and that there are qualities in this person that perhaps you would like to cultivate in yourself. You feel this resonance with them. So just taking a moment to connect with this person, getting a sense of them, perhaps hearing their voice, a visual image, sense of their presence, and can perhaps imagine them in a place you know where they're happy or at ease. You might choose someone that you don't know that well, or perhaps even at all, perhaps an author who has helped you, or a spiritual figure, the Dalai Lama, we can still have images of these people from photographs. So just taking a moment to connect with them and appreciate their good qualities. Why it is you find that you're in this relationship with them of appreciation. So allowing that to resonate a little within you. And then beginning to say the same phrases of metta towards this person. It can be helpful to say their name. So again, you feel that sense of connection. May you be safe and protected from harm. May you be happy, contented. May you be healthy and strong. May you live with the ease of well-being. Again, keeping your attention centered in the chest area, center of the chest, using the breath if that's helpful for you, to bring some spaciousness into the practice. Seeing if you can stay connected with this person. It takes some energy to keep that connection up. So being willing to refresh it every now and then. If you find you're just saying the words and not really connecting, start again with this practice of imagining them, sensing them, hearing them, saying their name, and then sending the metta towards this person.
So if you find this practice helpful, would like to develop it more, I encourage you to take another practice period and you can just do it on your own, whether it's a sitting period, but it's also nice to do metta in a walking period. And it's an interesting practice because you just do it the same as we do it in the sitting. Stand for a moment, choose the person you're going to develop the metta for, yourself or benefactor, you know, that's where we are in the sequence. And you just say the phrases as you walk along. And I usually try to time my phrases that that's how far I walk. When I get to the end of the four phrases, I stop, turn around, and then sort of get ready again, and then say the four phrases again. Um, So you can do it in that way. And it can be a lovely complement to the mindfulness practice. Do you have any questions about the metta and developing it? Yes. Um, I've done metta before, and this is the first time this has happened, but I was going back to times in my life when I didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. I just sort of have this inner uh, urge to give myself metta at that time. So yes. I was confused. Like, should I stay in the present? Should I go? The the question or the comment is she's done metta before, but this time she felt um, what was coming up was all the times in her life she hasn't felt safe and, and the inclination was to do metta for herself at those times or should she stay in the present. The interesting thing about metta is there's no wrong way to do it. Um, and you can also be very creative at times with the practice. Some of the ways this, one of the significant ways this practice can be really healing is to actually, as you say, go back to times and even times as a child where you didn't feel safe or didn't feel held with matter or kindness and actually almost reparent yourself. Yes, yeah. Yeah, no, it happened to me spontaneously on a retreat where I had just at age five or whatever, the sense of abandonment and, uh, you know, just to do the metta for that young child can be very healing. From this place of of maturity, of being able to do it with kindness, with metta. So it's not as though we're going back to yourself. As you, it's almost like the young child is here with you and from this place of more balance, you can offer that to her. And it can be a lovely thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, sometimes, you know, I was just had so much to say, I didn't say everything that I like to include in the instructions, but one of the ways people often do metta for themselves is as a young child to actually imagine yourself at a time when you either felt loved and can really connect with that. Sometimes that's juicy for people, but it's often at a time when you didn't feel that. And just to be able to, to wish yourself well, and as I say, it's kind of a reparenting or an, an affirming of your now ability to feel that for yourself and offer that to yourself. So it can be quite powerful. Yeah, thanks. Yes. Um, this somewhat piggybacks on that question about whether or not this is appropriate. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been finding myself in the last year, especially when I do meta. The words get kind of twisted from may you be happy um, to may your heart be open, may you have gratitude, may you be grateful, getting more and more to where I want to be mm-hmm. in an abusive way. Like I've just, I just sort of realized it today. Uh-huh. I'm sort of bludgeoning myself with this. Oh, interesting. And it's been, so I've been resistant to it for the last couple of months, and I guess it's probably 
Yeah. I would. So, noticing that her phrases have moved from "May I be happy" to "May I be grateful," "May I be," I forget, "May I be kind,", kind. May, my heart be open. "May your heart be open." These these things that she wants for herself, yeah. but she's actually using she's seeing now using the phrases to bludgeon herself because she's not experiencing that. It's like you should be, and that's why I love this phraseology of "May I," because. There are some, there's a whole technique of practices of affirmations which really say, I am, you know, I am happy or whatever. And the, the may I allows this possibility, you know, we can't control whether we're happy or not, on, on, you know, in some absolute way. But we can certainly wish it or incline the mind or create the conditions that make that more likely. So, and the more generic, you know, may I be happy rather than may I be filled with loving kindness. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something wonderful about that phrase, and a lot of people like to use it, may my heart open with kindness. But we, one of the things in the practice we really have to watch is the tone with which we're saying the words. And it can be really instructive to see that we're actually, as you say, bludgeoning yourself, being critical, judgmental. You know, there's a sense of, of not enoughness in just the way we're doing the practice. And one of the things I always say is we have to do metta practice with metta. And so often we don't. You know, we're very happy. I should be happy. Why am I happy? You know, I want to be happy. I should be happy. It's your, my fault I'm not happy. You know, and because of this and this and this. And that's, as you say, you know, going in the opposite direction. But we only realize it by having, by doing it and seeing this is what we do to ourselves a lot. We set up some ideal and then criticize ourselves because we're not there. And it really, metta comes out that, I think I already said this, the heart of it is acceptance. This is how I am right now. And yes, there's this wish that I grow or deepen or, or balance or whatever, but it's got to come out of the, the kindness that just accepts this is how I am right now. And to really see that's what allows the gratitude or the kindness to really develop is through accepting who we are right now. And then, then things can blossom. But if it's coming out of an agenda, a, a sense of punishing, a sense of not enoughness, that's what we'll be responding to. And, and that always leads to contraction, and it's a suffering state. So, you know, can, the practice, that, that's the obstacle that we really see. Oh, until I really accept where I am right now, my, my agenda for kindness is not going to manifest because it's being done in that kind of harsh way. Yeah, so thank you. Okay, so as I said, we'll continue this practice tomorrow afternoon, developing it. Please include it as you feel helpful. And again, as I already said, as a, as a sort of an antidote or a balancing, if you find you're getting tight in your practice, there's a lot of aversion to yourself or the situation to someone else to actually do some metta. And often people's... Uh, way of doing that, if, especially if someone perhaps even here is irritating you or some memory from the past, it's like, oh, I'll do metta for them and that'll get rid of this feeling. Um, metta isn't, isn't a, a, you know, a thing we use to bludgeon away our bad feelings. It, it can be a really skillful response, but it's actually the most skillful place to do the metta is for yourself. If you're feeling irritated or angry or resentful or fearful, to actually start with metta for yourself and then see if it's helpful to s express it for someone else. But that, that um, instruction of starting 
here with ourselves is, is really so helpful. And I always say you can never spend too much time sending metta to yourself because until we can really have that foundation of kindness and care and true acceptance for ourselves, we, we certainly can wish it for others and certainly in the grand way of all beings, but it doesn't have a solid foundation. Um, it's really, you know, as I always say, it starts at home. So to spend as much time as you wish. Yes. Could you say something about um, metta and the aging process? I noticed that uh, it seems almost every month some new part of me isn't working mm. or it's working as it should mm-hmm, or it's a mm-hmm, constant struggle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it can be sort of, I wouldn't say depressing, but it can be Yeah, hard. yeah. So metta and the aging process, just noticing regularly that some part ceases to work as well as it used to. So metta is, uh, is the practice of wishing well, wishing, you know, the, these um, things that we've already talked about. Sometimes it's not the appropriate Brahma-vihara. You probably know there are four of them. The second one being compassion, the third being mudita or uh, sympathetic joy, and the last one being equanimity. Sometimes it's one of the other ones that's actually more appropriate. Compassion that just says, this is hard. This is suffering, you know, this is difficult for me right now. Or may I open to this with compassion, with caring. So there's that. And then equanimity that just acknowledges this is the way things are. And if I'm going to resist that, if I'm going to resist and resent the way things are, I'm going to suffer. So as well as the metta, you could, do you know those other practices, the compassion and equanimity? They can also be helpful. But the basic sense of the metta is just wishing ease. And as I said earlier, whatever the circumstances, sometimes we don't feel healthy, we don't feel strong, we don't feel happy. But can we have this sense of wanting to hold ourselves with, with acceptance and with care and, and, and bring the kindness in that actually you know, addresses where we're feeling limitation? So it can be a very helpful practice. It's, what I love about metta is it's so flexible. It depends on you know, the attitude within which you do it, the emphasis you place on it. Sometimes it can be really joyful and uplifting, and sometimes it be, can be quite tender. It's why we choose <coughs> metta as the foundation practice. Some traditions choose compassion as the foundation Brahma-vihara. But metta, when it meets happiness, is... is um, or well-being, it's very uplifting. When it meets suffering, it, even though the words are the same, it's, it's with tenderness or it turns to compassion. If it meets joy and, and success, well-being, it, it goes to mudita. And it always has to be balanced by equanimity. So it just depends on the flavor that you bring to it. But the heart is acceptance. This is the nature of the body, going in one direction, unfortunately, for most of us. The point, this point in our lives. Okay, time for some walking now. Beautiful, almost spring-like day, so make the most of it. Be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.